Well, it's so good to have you here. If you have your Bibles this morning, turn to 1 Kings. Uh, somebody asked me this morning before the early service, are you going to preach the old time gospel this morning? We had the, we had the old time gospel music and they said, you're going to pre preach an old time gospel message? And I said, well, I'm going to preach out the Old Testament. That's about as old as I can go. First uh, Kings chapter three. And I'm really glad that you're here today because we're starting a new series today uh, called Godly Wisdom. And I'm excited about this series. This past series that we did talking about the name of the Lord actually has been one of my favorite series to be able to prepare for and share with you. And I uh, was excited about some of the feedback we got about how God was using that to work in people's lives. But I tell you, I'm just as excited about this because I believe this is a series that will help every single one of us in a significant way uh, be able to navigate our lives on a daily basis. And so I believe God has some really uh, uh, great things in store for us in the weeks ahead as we go through this series. Uh, but as I was thinking about this and preparing, I was just wondering how many of you by a show of hands this morning ha have seen a shooting or what they call a falling star before. Have you, any of you? Yeah, lots of us. Lots of us have seen those. I love uh, when there's going to be meteor showers and, and they're not at one o'clock in the morning, you know, uh, because those are really cool. I remember one time uh, I was going duck hunting one day and and uh, we were having to go really, really early one morning. It was during a time when there was meteor showers and all that going on. And we were sitting out on the banks of the Arkansas River waiting on daylight, several hours before daylight, and watching those sky stars fall and just marveling at, at God's beauty. But, but what is kind of the superstition that goes along with if you see a shooting star? What is it? That you can make a wish, right? You can make a wish upon the star. And, and so, uh, you know, as I was thinking about that, I began to think about what if uh, you could ask God for one wish, right? And I'm sure many of you have been presented with this question before. If you were given a genie in a bottle and you could have three wishes, what would they be? And you can't wish for more wishes or that someone might fall in love. But if God came to you and said, I'm going to grant you one thing. I'm going to grant you one prayer, one request. What is it that you would ask for? Because that's basically what we're going to be looking at over these next several weeks. That's basically what God did with Solomon in the Old Testament. Uh, and it, as, as Solomon is beginning his reign as king here in, in 1 Kings chapter 3. And what we're going to be doing over these next few weeks is looking at the life of Solomon. Today's just kind of an introduction uh, to get us going. So I really encourage you to be here in the following weeks. But uh, here's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be looking at uh, when God said, okay, you can ask for one thing. We're going to be looking at what Solomon asked for. And then we're going to look at why he asked for it. And, and then we're going to be talking about what godly wisdom looks like in our own lives. And next week, we're going to be touching on the, the passage of scripture that, that Mary shared in, in her testimony there on the podcast uh, about seek ye first the kingdom of God. And then all of these things will be added to you. And we'll be focusing in a little more on, on, on that next week. But, but I, I believe that every single one of us here today, if we were honest, would say, you know what? I would love to be a little bit wiser. Anybody here would love to be a little dumber? Man, several of you raised your hand. Wow. 
I kind of tricked you there. I didn't even have that in my notes. That just kind of happened. Wasn't that, wasn't that awesome how I just did that? But I mean, every single one of us would love to be a little wiser, right? I mean, if we could say, we, you know, if we could choose to have more wisdom and some godly wisdom, we would all say that we would like to have that to be able to navigate life and get through life. So let's get right to it. Let's pick it up this morning in uh, chapter three. We're going to start at verse number five. It says, at Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream. And God said, here it is, ask for whatever you want me to give you. And so before we dig into exactly, you know, what it was that Solomon asked for and, and, and the conversation that took place there, I think it's important that before we dig into all that, we kind of dig into the life of Solomon himself because we really need to understand the context of what's going on, what Solomon's life has been like. Uh, and, and what's going on here. So here's the deal. Solomon uh, was King David's son. And here in scripture, we see that he has now become the newly appointed king uh, to take over David's throne. Now, at first glance, we would think, you know what? Well, Solomon was born into privilege, wasn't he? I mean, he, he was born into a family. His dad was the king you know, and so Solomon's, you know, been born and raised with a silver spoon in his mouth. You know, everything has always been absolutely wonderful for him and their family. And now David, at the end of his life, passes on his throne to his son who deserves it. And that's Solomon. But for those of you that know the story and those of you that have studied this before, you know that Solomon was actually the product of a pretty messed up family. Uh, they had a lot of issues in their family. We know that because Solomon was the son of Bathsheba. And for those of you familiar with the story of David in the Old Testament, you know that Bathsheba uh, was the woman that David committed adultery with. Not only did he commit adultery with Bathsheba, but he had her husband murdered so that he could be with Bathsheba. And, and, and her husband was a friend of David's. And so David had him murdered so that he could marry her. Solomon uh, also was not David's only son. I mean, this just wasn't handed to him because he was the only son. Solomon wasn't even the oldest son uh, that David had. So there was a lot of jealousy and a lot of infighting that was taking place and going on among the family because every son wanted the throne. Every son wanted to fo follow their father as being the king. And so they had all this conflict going on uh, in their home and in their family. One of Solomon's brothers actually raped one of their sisters. Okay. And, and because of that, another brother killed the brother that had done that to their sister. He had murdered him. And, and then the, this brother that, that had murdered that one, he began to make his move to try to take over the throne and become king. And he's trying to overthrow his very own dad. Uh, and he, he tries to even kill him so that he can become king. And during all that conflict, that brother gets killed. Uh, and, and then another one of Solomon's brothers, as he's making his move to take over the throne, he marries one of David's uh, favorite concubines uh, to show, you know, begin to show his power and that he should have rightful access to the throne and to be king. And while all this is going on, well, he gets killed too. Uh, by the way, are you feeling a little better about your family this morning? <laughs> 
you know, and I like to point this stuff out. You know, I, I, the reason I like to point it out is because I know that some of you think that you come up, come from some very messed up families and some very messed up uh, situations. And the good news for you is most of the people that God used in the Bible do too, right? They come from a mess. They come from messed up families with messed up lives. Listen, and I've said this time and time and time again to you, but your past family history does not have to define your future. Your past does not have to define your future. God can begin a process of blessing in your life and in your family today that starts with you right now and right here. And so you can become someone that God uses in great ways the same way that he did Solomon because Solomon didn't really have it that great throughout his life. Their family was a, a train wreck. And so, but here's the deal. I believe over these next few weeks that Solomon is going to show some of us how to become uh, a person of greatness that God intends for us to be in our lives. So uh, first, let's see how Solomon responded to, you know, what God's saying there. God says, ask for what, you know, whatever you want. And let's look at his response in verse six. Solomon answered, you've shown great kindness to your servant, my father, David. You've continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Solomon's talking about himself, who now is the king. Verse 7. Now, Lord my God, capital L-O-R-D, I am, remember, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, but I am only a little child and I do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen a great people, too numerous to even count or number. Verse nine says, so give your servant. Here's, here's what he asked for when God says, ask me anything. Here's what Solomon says. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? And scripture says that the Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So the first thing that I want us to look at as we enter into this series on godly wisdom is what Solomon asked for. And then we're going to look at why Solomon asked for that. So the what that Solomon asked for was what? Godly wisdom. Right, the name of the series. Solomon asked for wisdom. He asked for wisdom to be able to guide the people of Israel. So what is wisdom? In asking for wisdom, what is that that Solomon was asking for? Well, I believe that we can define wisdom based like this, uh, based on the context of what Solomon is, is talking about here. Wisdom is this, the ability to see things from God's perspective. That's what wisdom is. That's what godly wisdom is that, that Solomon is asking for. He, he means uh, it's the ability to see things the way that God sees things, okay? He asked here in verse 9 that God give him a discerning heart. Some translations say a receptive heart or, or maybe even a perceiving heart. Lord, give me the ability to discern things or perceive things the way that you do. The, the way that you see them so that when I, I don't know what to do in a particular situation, I want to be able to think like you think. I want to be able to perceive things the way you perceive them. 
And, and so he, he goes on in, in verse 9 there to, to, to talking about this discerning heart to be able to distinguish. He wants wisdom to be able to distinguish between what is right and wrong. He says, I, I need to know the difference between what is good and what is evil. And, and so, you know, you know as I, I was thinking about this, I thought, well, you know, most of us would probably say, well, Solomon, read the Bible. <laughs> I mean, doesn't, doesn't God's word give us all the wisdom that we need for life? I mean, we talk about it all the time, that God's word gives us the wisdom to be able to live the lives that he intended for us to live. Isn't the wisdom that we need to discern between what's right and wrong light laid out in scripture? Yes. No, <laughs> not always. I, I mean, think about it. In some cases, the Bible is crystal clear on things and that's easy, right? I mean, the Bible says do it. So we're supposed to do it. The Bible says don't do it. Then, you know, don't do it. But you and I both know that some of life's biggest decisions a lot of the decisions that we make are not clearly laid out in the Bible. I mean, a lot of the decisions and situations that we're up against, there's just not a place where we can turn and go, you know, who am I supposed to marry? Because, you know, that's, that's not in there. I, I, I'll give you an example. Uh, when I was thinking about getting married, I was like, God, what does your word say about getting married? And so I go to the Bible. I do a search uh, on my little Bible software thing for the name Lynette. It, it's nowhere in the Bible. And I'm like, well, God, I think this is the woman that you're supposed to marry. And I'm like, but it, you, it, it, she's not in here. You know, maybe I'm supposed to marry Mary or Martha or somebody else, but there's no Lynette, especially spelled the way she spelled it, which is all jacked up. <laughs> but here's what I did find. Lynette's maiden name was Fowler. So I did a search on Fowler in scripture and I did find a scripture in the Bible about Fowler and it was in Psalms and it said, Lord, deliver me from the snare of the Fowler. And so according to God's word, I've been living against his will all this time because it was clear that I should be delivered from the Fowler, but I've been in bondage to the Fowler for now 29 years or I think, I'm not even sure how long it's been, but, uh, but I mean, some of life's questions like who, who do we marry or or, or, you know, where am I supposed to live? Am I supposed to sell the house or not sell the house? You know, what job uh, is it that I need to take or, or not take? Or how to difficult, how to navigate some of the difficult uh, relationships and some of the complications that comes along with family and how do we deal with that? What, you know, what, what do we, decisions do we, do we make about those things? And sometimes we just flat out don't know what to do in particular situations. Uh, and, and a lot of decisions in life are like that. And sometimes we just need uh, the wisdom to know how to navigate these confusing issues of life when rules don't seem to apply to our particular situation. Wisdom is knowing what to do in situations where the Bible is not clear, okay? It's giving you God's instinct. Does that make sense to you? I don't want to uh, 
confuse anybody. I, I want to give you an example, though, this morning, so maybe you'll understand and see uh, what, what I'm trying to get to. Later on in this story of Solomon, we see about a situation that he's faced with. Give you an example of the kind of wisdom that Solomon was going to need in the position that he was in. Uh, Solomon as king was also uh, the role of the king would also to be a judge in, in court cases and criminal situations and things like that. So they often would have situations brought uh, before them uh, to resolve. And later on in the story, uh, in one case that comes before Solomon, there were two women uh, who were both prostitutes. They had both had babies about the same time. They were about the same age. Evidently, the babies looked a lot alike. These two women lived in the same house together. Okay. And so what had happened was, is one night, uh, they were asleep with their babies by their side. One of the ladies actually rolled over on her baby and she suffocated it and it died. She took her baby that was now dead. She swapped it with the living baby of the other woman. And when they woke up the next morning, uh, she said that this baby that was alive was hers and that the other woman had killed her baby you know, it was a big mess, so they had to take it to court. They had to go before the judge for the ju judge to decide which lady that the live baby actually uh, belonged to. And so there's no way to verify whose, whose baby it is because, you know, there's no DNA testing back then. And, and so it's Solomon's job to figure this all out, to be able to decide who's telling the truth or who's not telling the truth and whose baby it is. And so Solomon, with wisdom that he's been given to by God, Solomon says, okay, here's the deal. He said, bring me the living baby. And so they bring in the living baby and he lays it uh, on a table out in front of him. And then he says, now someone bring me a sword. All right. And he says, we're going to do the obvious thing here. Since you say this is your baby and you say this is your baby, what we're going to do is we're just going to take the baby and we're going to cut it in half and you get half and you get the other half. But when he does that, the real mom who knows it's really her baby, she speaks up very quickly and says, no, 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 no. Don't do that. Don't do that. And so because she would rather her baby be alive, even if it was with this other woman and not with her, she would rather her baby be alive than her baby to, to be killed. And because of that and the wisdom that Solomon has, he knows who the real mother is, right? Because the real mother cares enough for her child that the child would not be killed. Now, the purpose for that story is not to teach us to cut the baby in half, is it? I mean, if you're in a dispute over a child, please don't cut the baby in half because the Bible tells this story. That's not what this story is all about, but it's showing us that sometimes we need godly wisdom. We need wisdom to know what he wants us to do, even when it's not clear. You know, Solomon was asking God for the kind of wisdom that would help in the complicated issues of life and situations of life, the ability to know the right thing to do and what the wrong thing to do was. And let me just point out uh, this before we move on to the why uh, that Solomon asked of that. Uh, Solomon's motives here are exactly the opposite of the motives we see of Adam and Eve in Genesis. In the book of Genesis, you'll remember back that they had taken fruit from the tree of knowledge of what? Good and evil. 
right? They had taken fruit from the tree of the knowledge of, uh, of good and evil, and that was the forbidden fruit. And this fruit of, uh, of knowledge of good and evil was supposed to, think about it, it was supposed to give them the ability to be able to discern for themselves what was good and, and, and what was evil. And what Solomon is doing here is basically the opposite. He's saying, God, not only will I obey what's in your word and what's written there, but I need to know what you think about all these other things. I need to know what you think about my marriage. I need to know what you think about these complicated situations that come up uh, in my life. I need your ability, not mine, all right? The focus is not on Solomon. The, Solomon is saying, God, I need your ability to make those decisions. I need your ability to choose between good and evil and what is uh, right and wrong, where it's spelled out clearly in Scripture and even in those places where it's not. God, give me a wise, give me a perceiving, discerning heart. So that's what he asked for, godly wisdom. We're going to be talking about it for several weeks. But why did he ask for that? He was given one thing that he could receive from God, and he asked for godly wisdom. Why, why did he do that? Well, we see here in, in verse number nine, he says this. He says, so give your servant a discerning heart, don't miss this, to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong for, or, or in other words, because who is able to govern this great people of yours? Don't miss this. Solomon isn't asking this for his sake. He isn't asking it for his sake. He's not asking this so that he can be super smart and write books and, you know, become a millionaire by selling all of his books and, and make all this money. Why is he asking? He's asking for the people's sake. He, he's asking for the people. He's saying, God, listen, they need me to be this. They need me to be this. I'm in this position. You've, you've allowed me to be in this position and, and, and I need your godly wisdom in my life to do the right thing for their sake. It's for them and ultimately God, because it's for them, it's for your sake because they belong to you. They're your people. So would you give me this for their sake, which is ultimately going to be for your sake? And there are two things this morning that I want us to, to, to look at as we kind of, you know, break ground on this series that we're going to be in the next few weeks. But two things that Solomon asked for that I believe is a great template for us to use when we pray. I believe these are two things right here that, that are, are, are great uh, uh, things for us to think about anytime we ask God for something. And the first thing is this, Solomon prays understanding that he is inadequate. He understands that he's small. He understands that he can't do it. We talked about it last week. I did my dead level best to convince you how small you are. <laughs> Not that you would feel small, but just so that you would know that you are small when it's in perspective to God and his kingdom. And that's what Solomon, Solomon goes, you know what? I know I don't have it. I don't know. I know that I don't have the wisdom that I need. In verse seven, look at what he says. He says, you have made your servant king but God, I'm only a little child and I don't know how to carry out my duties. I, I, I'm just a kid. Scholars say that Solomon was 20 years old when he became king. 
He, he recognized that he didn't know what he was doing. He was in, can you imagine having a president of our United States that is 20 year, was 20 years old? <laughs> I, I mean, really? I'm not t- talking about one that acts 20. I'm saying one that is 20. But can you imagine being 20 years old and being placed in a position of that kind of authority as the king? You know, he'd been raised around it all of his life, but he, you know, his daddy was the king, but he wasn't really paying attention. He wasn't the only son and he wasn't even the oldest son. So he probably never had a dream of being the king. He wasn't paying attention. He was playing football, you know, and and he was, and so he's saying, I'm inadequate. This is so important when we pray. Because listen, all throughout scripture, we see it time and time again. God will never turn away the humble when they cry out to him. He never turns away the humble when they cry out to him. And this is so important when we pray uh, for us to remember. If we could learn just this one thing right here, I believe that it would totally transform uh, our lives. I, I want to look at some verses this morning that God's word gives us about this. Psalm 146, 5, blessed are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord, whose hope is in the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, whose hope is in the great I am the Lord, their God. Blessed are those whose help in parenting is the great I am. Uh, Not some new theory or some new book or some new new school, but it's in God whose hope for his kids or, or the church or success is in the Lord, not in ourselves, not in what we can do, but it's in the Lord. Here's another one, Psalm 55, 22. Cast your cares on the Lord. I am and he will sustain you. Remember what we learned in this last series. You can't, but he can, right? He says, you're not, but I am. So give me your cares. Give me your burdens, whatever care that you have, whether it's a decision that you've got to make or whether it's finding a spouse. He says, cast that on me. Cast that on me because I am and you're not. I am the Lord. And guess what he'll do when you do that? He says, he will sustain you. He will carry you. Psalm 28 verse 6 and 7 says, praise be to the Lord for he has heard my cry. He has heard my prayers uh, for mercy. The Lord is my strength. The Lord is my shield. He's the one that fights for me. He's the one that is in me because my heart trusts in him and he helps me. He says, I was helped because God will never turn away somebody that trusts him and comes to him for help. And we need to know that and understand that. And he gives wisdom to Solomon here because Solomon prays in understanding that he is inadequate. He's inadequate. He confesses that he's small. He realizes and understands and comes to God saying, I don't have what it takes. I I don't have what I need. And the ironic thing is this, the smarter and more confident you are in yourself, the more likely you are to miss out on the wisdom of God. Because when we think we know it all or we've got it all together, we're not seeking God for his wisdom in our lives. I recently read this quote. I love it. By, it's by a pastor named Kevin DeYoung. He said, if you think you're really smart, you're on the path to becoming a fool. But if you feel that you don't have it all together, 
you've begun down the path to becoming wise. I love that. Even Jesus' own brother, James, he, he wrote this. He said it like this. He said, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the who? To the humble. He opposes the proud but he shows favor to the humble. God opposes those people who think they've got it all together. He opposes the people who think they don't need any help. And you want to know what proud looks like? It doesn't look arrogant. It doesn't look cocky. I'll tell you what proud looks like. Proud is someone who doesn't pray. That's what proud is. Someone who doesn't pray. That's what it means. You never cry out to help, uh, cry out for help to God because you think that you can figure it all out by yourself. Some of you think, you know what? I'll eventually figure this out. Given enough time, I'm smart enough that I can figure this out. I can get myself out of this mess. I can make this happen or whatever. And don't miss this. Not only will God not help you, but James says he'll actually become your enemy and oppose you and oppose the plans that you're making for yourself. But when you come to him humbly with humility and recognize that he is the I am, and you're not, and that you need his help. What does he say? He will always give grace to you. Number two, Solomon prays, recognizing this, that God's purposes are greater. Great template for us to pray, understanding that we're inadequate. We don't have what we need. But also Solomon prays, recognizing that God's purposes are greater. God's purposes are, are, are not Solomon's purposes. God's purposes are greater. And, and he says it in verse 9 there. He says, for, for his great people. Y'all, he's asking for something great here. Don't miss this. He's asking for, for something big. And God gave him what he asked for. Why? Because it was focused on God's kingdom and it wasn't focused on Solomon's kingdom. We can't miss that. God answered his great and his big prayer because his prayer was actually for God's kingdom to increase and not Solomon's uh, kingdom to increase. So here's the question for us this morning. What is it that we dream about? What, what is it that, that is our, our, our biggest hope for the future? What is it that, that we pray about? What do you dream about and why do you dream about it? There's nothing wrong with asking God for greatness. We've talked about this as we've done series on prayer before. There's nothing wrong with asking for greatness. But do it for God's sake and not your own. We have to be real careful when we're praying who, whose sake we're praying for, whose kingdom it is that we're praying for. Now, I've talked about before how most of our prayers uh, are, and I'm not judging people by how they pray because I've heard most every single one of you pray like this, but, but sometimes we pray the craziest prayers, uh, and I'm guilty of this too, but sometimes we, we fill our prayers with uh, cliches uh, that actually don't make any sense. Uh, like we pray, uh, you hear this time and time again, just at your small group sometime, if everybody's praying, uh, j just see how often this happens. Don't judge people in how they pray, but, but we, will, we will pray, uh, Lord, just be with us. And we say just a lot when we pray. I don't know if you've ever noticed that either, but we throw just in our prayers a lot. I don't know why, but we will pray, Lord, just be with us. 
And God's like, Hebrews 13, 5. You know, I, I promised that I would never leave you. <laughs> I promised that I would never forsake you. So ask me something else that I haven't already promised or given you, right? Or, or here's my favorite. And we're all guilty of this. Lord, bless this food for the nourishment of our bodies. You know, and, and it's, it's appropriate. It's definitely appropriate to pray before you eat and to thank God for the food that he's given us. But last night we, uh, we were having some food that I'm, I'm pretty sure he could never bless. But, uh, <laughs> you know, we ask him to bless it to the nourishment of our bodies and then we cram it in our faces. And, but, but here's something that, that I noticed. We ask him to bless it. But what did he do when he created it in the book of Genesis? He said it was good. He created it and he said, this is good. That's a blessing. All right. And so I hate to bust your bubble, but food comes with a blessing pre-built into it since the very beginning of time and the beginning of creation. At least some foods do. I mean, if you're eating a Whopper with cheese and drinking a 64 ounce Coke, I'm not sure that's blessed or it'll ever be blessed uh, as nourishment for your body. But, but here's the biggest issue with our prayers, I believe. If we, if we actually wrote our prayers down and went back and read them, I believe here's what we would find is that our prayers are so incredibly me-focused. So incredibly focused on us. You know, you could summarize the majority of our prayers by going, gimme, 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 gimme. You know, God, give me this or God, give me that. It's like we're giving God a shopping list, you know, of things that we need him to pick up for us down at the divine Walmarts, you know. Uh, listen, prayer is the means that God gives us for seeing his will done on earth. All right, he gives us prayer as a weapon of spiritual warfare. It's not a heavenly supermarket. It's not a divine golden corral where we can just go through the buffet and pick and choose what looks good or, or what we want or, or don't want. Which means this, you know, we ought to spend most of our time praying for the advancement of God's purposes on earth. Okay, is that what your prayers are about? Is that what our prayers are about? Are our prayers more uh, 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 focused on the advancement of God's work and God's kingdom? And I've asked you to think about this before, but I want to ask you again this morning. If God answered every single prayer that you have prayed this past week, if he answered every prayer that you have prayed over the last seven days and he said, you know what? I'm going to give you everything that you prayed for tonight at 12 o'clock. I'm going to answer every prayer that you prayed this past week. And I'm going to say yes at 12 o'clock tonight at 1201. Would there be any new people in the kingdom of heaven? If God answered every prayer that you prayed this past week with a yes, how much would the kingdom of God advance if he did that? Now listen, don't, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with praying great and grand and big prayers. We ought to be praying more of them. We should not be shy. We are coming before the King of kings and Lord of lords who can grant and do all things, right? So we shouldn't be shy about how we pray. 
And we shouldn't make our prayers smaller. We're praying to a king, so pray big and bold prayers. But ask them for God's kingdom and not your own. Ask them for his kingdom and not your own. And, and I've been praying uh, for a long time and, and that, you know, uh, without apology, I've been praying that God would make us a great church. I've been praying for greatness for our, our church and I'm praying that God would allow us to reach more people here in this community than anybody ever thought would be possible for a church to be able to reach. I, I pray that it would happen in such a way that when they write the history books of Greenbrier in 100 or 200 years from now, that, that you know, they can't overlook what God has done through the people uh, at the Greenbrier Church of the Nazarene. That's what I'm praying. I'm praying that he would allow us to reach a gen generations of kids and students, that we would raise up a generation of young people that would make a huge impact, not just on this community, but they would go out into the world and make a huge impact for him. That's what I'm praying for your children and your grandchildren. I'm praying that we would make monumental differences in many people's lives and in their families in this community. And, and, and these are all great and these are all huge and these are all big prayers and great things. But here's the question. We need to be real careful about why we're praying those prayers. Why are we praying that? Why am I praying those things? You know, why do we pray for God to do awesome things in our church? Because what if? What if God answered our prayers? What if God says yes right now to all of my prayers? What if God says, you know what? I'm really going to pour out my spirit in such a way that 100 or 200 years from now, people will still be talking about the movement of God that happened in the city of Greenbrier during your generation. People are going to still be talking about years and years away uh, about how awesome God moved upon that community. But what if he doesn't use our church to do it? What if he doesn't use our church? What if he uses the church down the road that my friend pastors? What if their church gets big? What if their church becomes famous and 100 or 200 years from now, the history books are all about how awesome God uh, did a work through their church and the church of the Nazarene is not even mentioned in the footnotes. And people talk about their church and people talk about what God is doing through them. Would we still be okay with that? And we know the right answer because we were raised in Sunday school, right? I mean, we're all good little Christians. Oh, yes, praise God. Bless them. You know, his scripture says that, that, that I must decrease and that, you know, he must increase. And so we know that's the right answer. And that might be the right answer. But if God chose to do it that way, would we really be okay with it? And this is something that has really challenged me uh, here recently. And so I have to question, have my prayers been... Thy kingdom come or my kingdom come. And, and so this message today and this entire series is as much for your pastor as it is any one of you. Because here's the deal. I, I, I want to pray for great things. But I have to be real careful about the fact, am I praying them for his kingdom or am I, or am I praying my prayers for my kingdom? 
And so maybe today, here's what we need to do as we begin this series, uh, asking God to give us godly wisdom. Maybe the first question that we need to ask ourselves is this, are the things that we're asking God to do, are they for his kingdom? Or are we trying to build our own kingdom through the prayers that we pray? And today, it's my prayer that all of us will come to the realization that Solomon did, that God's purposes are greater. His kingdom must increase and ours must decrease. So that's my prayer for us in the weeks to come, that Solomon will guide us and lead us into the kind of wisdom that God would have us to have as his children and his followers. Let me pray for you. God, we thank you today so much for your word. Your word often shines a light onto things in our lives that maybe we've never thought about or considered or uncovered uh, before. I thank you for your word that it's a, a, a promise of, of what uh, we have in and through you. And God, when we look at ourselves in perspective to who you are in the entire universe, we are inadequate. We are so small. We can do nothing, but you can do all things. And so, God, I pray that our prayers and our petitions, that we would cry out to you with this uh, humility of knowing, God, we can't do it, but because you're the great I am, you can. And so we, we ask you for the help. We cry out to you for the help to be able to do the things that you want us to do, to be able to build your kingdom. And God, we understand that sometimes we can get maybe blindsided. We can get, uh, we can lose our focus. We can begin to do things and we think we're doing them for the right reasons, but we're not really trying to build your kingdom, but we're trying to build our kingdom, whether that be, uh, you know, in our, in our homes or in our businesses or whatever it may be. God, help us to set our kingdoms aside and be able to focus on yours. Our kingdom must decrease while yours increases. And so God, that, that, that's our prayer that that you your kingdom would increase that your kingdom would be the one that matters most and if you choose to use the church down the road I pray that it would start there today and you would begin to do great and mighty things in and through them but God that we would come along beside of them and be oh, faithful be faithful and obedient and willing to work with them to build your kingdom because it's not about the kingdom at 64 North Broadview it's about the kingdom in all the world that it be built for your glory so God, I pray that we would stay focused on that, that it's your kingdom, not ours, and that you would find us faithful and you would find us obedient to building your kingdom as we go out from this place. We love you so much. Thank you for loving us even when we don't get it right. Thank you for loving us enough to keep guiding us and steering us down the path that you want us to go. We love you so much. Thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I love you guys. I look forward to these next few weeks. Don't forget Operation Christmas Child Boxes, Thanksgiving Food Boxes. Pick them up. <laughs>